Hello, my name is Wang Yan, and I am a reporter with News China. With our weekly News China podcast, we aim to give insight into the trends and happenings in modern China through a historical lens. Today, we discuss Chinese intellectuals' traveling adventures in ancient times. Chinese tourists made 637 million visits around the country during the combined eight-day holiday for the National Day and the Mid-Autumn Festival in October. It was 79% of the total of the same period of the last year. And their spending, more than 17 billion US dollar, was 70% of the same period of 2019. This was an amazing record while the tourism sector in the rest of the world was still struggling in the pandemic. In East Asia, tourists from Japan and South Korea began to appear everywhere in the world during the years of fast economic growth of the two countries. In recent years, however, it has been Chinese tourists who spent big as they traveled around the world as China's economy grew. But do people travel just because they got rich enough to afford a trip? The world is so big, and I want to look at it, said Gu Shaoqiang, a middle school teacher from central China's Henan province, in her letter of resignation in 2015. These words have been widely lauded online. A person has to be impulsive twice in their life to fall head over heels in love and to go on a trip without any hesitation, said another popular online post in 2016. So do we really need a good reason to travel or should we just let our impulses get us? Those who oppose this casual attitude often quote Confucius, when your parents are alive, do not travel far. But few know that Confucius continued, if you do have to travel, be sure to have a specific destination. By saying this, Confucius is implying that there must be a proper reason to travel. His remarks were not about whether to travel or not, but about the meaning of any travel. He himself spent most of his time venturing around the kingdoms at that time to find a king who would adopt his ideas of governance. He did this not to seek political office, but to promote his idea of governance to benefit the public. He believed the decision whether to travel or take care of one's parents should be built on which choice is ethnically proper for a gentleman. So, what is a meaningful trip if we judge by Confucius' standards? Take Sima Tian, father of China's historiography. He was castrated for offending the emperor by defending a defeated general who had surrendered to his foe, the Huns. For ancient Chinese intellectuals, dignity was valued more than life. But Sima was given the choice of execution or castration, and he chose the humiliation himself, so he could continue his commitment to his late father to complete the historical records. The book is regarded as a classic masterpiece on history.
In the historical records, Sima Qian explained why he wrote the book. Ji Dan, known as Zhou Gong, a famous politician in the 11th century BCE during the Zhou dynasty, setting up social ethnic by formulating protocol and music that must be observed by people in different social classes. 500 years after his death, Confucius was born. The political and cultural traditions that Zhou Gong set up were the origin of Confucianism. Confucius compiled the Zhou dynasty's books on poems, protocols, politics, music, and history. His work leads to the six Confucius canons. As a historian, living in an era 500 years after the death of Confucius, Sima Qian believed it was his mission to inherit the tradition of Zhou Gong and Confucius to write a great book. By fulfilling his mission, Sima Qian's life transcends any humiliation in his world. For Asian Chinese intellectuals, life makes sense in the pursuit of ideals. Sima's early experience in traveling laid the foundation for his achievements. When he was a young man in his 20s, he visited Mount Huaiji in Zhejiang province, where the tomb of the great Yu, the hero who in legend controlled the huge floods in the prehistory period, was located. Then he went to Mount Tangwu, Jiangsu province, where the tomb of Emperor Shun, a legendary great emperor in the prehistory period, was worshipped. He explored the ancient Chu kingdom in the mid middle reaches of the Yangtze River, where the civilization was linked with and different from the civilization of the mid and downstream of the Yellow River, the cradle of Chinese civilization. He finally went northward to Shandong province, the home of Confucius that he admired so much. Today, many may think his travels in his youth was because of a Chinese scholar's tradition of combining reading and doing as much field research as possible. But the meaning of his travel goes beyond that. For him, reading is to learn the cultural heritage of Chinese civilization, while traveling cultivated his vision and perseverance. These experiences made a young man with his own aspirations and a strong will. When disaster suddenly struck him, he did not let his life fade away, but he rose from the ashes. The meaning of his life was embedded in his books. This is why Sima Qian has been remembered for thousands of years, not only for his books, but also as an icon of the Chinese culture and spirit. Famous mountains are always favorite destinations for tourists anywhere in the world, either in ancient times or today. But major mountains, such as the mountain Tai in Shandong province, mainly used to be for rulers and ordinary people to offer sacrifice to dainties. It was the people who joined these events that traveled. The boom of Buddhism in China in the 300 years from 3rd to 6th century changed this. When Buddhism was imported into China in the early 3rd century, it spread mainly among the lower and middle classes. Monks had neither any idea nor resources to build big temples at big famous mountains. But by the time 
The Eastern Jin regime was founded in the early years of the 4th century. Buddhism began to be widely accepted by dignitaries. With the patronage of dignitaries, temples were built and became places which featured not only religion and culture, but also politics and power. In the meantime, China's own indigenous religion, Taoism, began to expand its influence to compete with Buddhism. More Taoist temples were built in unfamous mountains during this period. All this changed the landscape and cultural significance of the mountains. The purpose of traveling to these mountains was thus also changed. Professor Wei Bin at Wuhan University published a book in 2019 as a result of his in-depth research on this change. He observed that for officials and intellectuals between the 3rd and 5th centuries, mountains became an inspiration for their artistic or literary creativity. They sought tranquility and freedom of their hearts in their ventures toward those temples where monks and Taoists lived and prayed by the rhythm of the bells and drums every day. This lifestyle also gave those intellectuals cultural capital, a term coined by French sociologist Pierre Bourdieu in the 1970s, which refers to particular behaviors, knowledge and skills of certain social groups. All this became the main incentives for traveling for intellectuals since the Tang Dynasty in the 7th century. They wrote a lot of poems on the landscape and life in mountains, on rivers, around the frontier areas, as well as travelogues. A unique Chinese-style painting of mountains and rivers was created. These paintings do not illustrate particular landscapes, but the impression and imagination of mountains and rivers that the artists visited. But one of the most famous travels among the intellectuals happened in a dream of a poet. Li Bai, known as the greatest Chinese poet, wrote a poem about his dream of visiting Mount Tianmu Mountain in Zhejiang Province in the mid-8th century during the Tang Dynasty. Li Bai had traveled a lot around the country since he was about 25 years old. But this poem about an adventure in his dream is more famous than most of his other poems on his actual trips. It has been in the textbooks of Chinese middle schools for years. In the poem, he gave a picture of a spectacular wonderland. About 800 years later, another famous dream trip took place which still shines today. Du Liniang, a beautiful daughter of a senior official, visited the back garden of her house without the consent of her parents one day. During her visit, she fell asleep and dreamed of a young scholar named Liu Mengnei. They fell in love with each other at first sight. Du died from heartbreak after he woke up. The story has a happy ending. Liu Mengnei is a real scholar. Du was brought back to life and married Liu in real life in the end. This is the story of a peony pavilion by Tang Xianzu, a playwright in the 7th century during the Ming Dynasty. The story is the basis of a classic Quanqu opera 
an art form which is on the list of UNESCO's intangible cultural heritage of humanity. Both the dream travels of Li Bai and Du Li Liang are about dreams of freedom. Li Bai wrote the poem after he failed to secure a political career in the Tang capital Chang'an, present-day Xi'an, while he was roaming around the country. He expressed his frustration and hatred of the dignitaries. A young lady in ancient China like Du Liang was expected to stay in her room all day and then go straight to an arranged marriage. This spirit of pursuing freedom in the dreams of Li Bai and Du Liang echoed the cultural significance of the travels of ancient Chinese intellectuals. Not all the travels of Asian scholars were so otherworldly. Before he wrote the poem about his dream of going to the mountain, Li Bai went to Chang'an to befriend dignitaries who might introduce him to the emperor. He hoped to realize his political ambitions. Liu, the scholar in the Peony Pavilion story, was on his way to the capital Lin'an, today's Hangzhou in Zhejiang, to take the national exam for officials when he met Du Liang. Liu, who was from a poor family, finally married Du with the emperor's approval because he scored highest in the national exam and had a bright future of his political career. During the Tang Dynasty, passing the national exam did not guarantee a job in the government. A face-to-face -face interview would be held at the Ministry of Official Personnel. Eligible candidates were assessed by their looks, figures, essence, and writing. Those who did not pass the interview had to leave the capital and travel again. They needed to find a senior local official who would accept the scholars at their A's. They may finally get a government post if they were lucky enough to get letters of reference from the officials. Since the Northern Song Dynasty in the 10th century, scholars who passed the national exams did not have to pass an interview, so they did not need letters of reference from local officials. But the journey from their hometown to the capital for the national exam itself was very hard, given the poor transportation in ancient times. Sometimes it even could be dangerous with robbers and other dangers. Certainly, it could be very romantic. Love stories about how young scholars met beautiful young ladies on the way to the exam and fell in love with each other are a popular topic in many traditional Chinese operas such as the Peony Pavilion. People have both a material and a spiritual life. Traveling as a part of our life always carries realistic and spiritual senses, whether in ancient or modern times. That is end of our podcast. Thank you to our writer, Dr. Zhang Yue, editor and translator Li Jia, and copy editor Kathleen Nadi. We hope you enjoyed it, and thank you for listening. See you next week.